There's got to be an explanation to all these UFO sightings, right? Hey, it's Stephen Diener, host of the Unidentified Alien Podcast. And whether you're new to the conversation or have been looking into it for years, you need to check out the fastest growing alien show out there, the Unidentified Alien Podcast, or UAP for short. There's a crazy amount of alien encounter stories out there from all over the world. And the beauty of it is that I bring them all to you and let you decide what you believe. Download and subscribe to UAP on any of the major podcasting platforms. And you can also find it on UAPpodcast.com. 97.1 FM The Drive presents the Behind the Song Podcast, taking you deeper into classic rock's most timeless tunes. Here's your host, Janda. In this episode of Behind the Song, let's take a closer look at the lyrics of Rock the Casbah by The Clash. It was the band's biggest hit, released in 1982 on the Combat Rock album, their fifth. It was one of only two Clash songs that entered the Top 40 chart in the U.S., the other being Train in Vain from their classic London Calling album, released three years earlier. Rock the Casbah went all the way to number eight in the States, and the Combat Rock album went to number seven, becoming a multi-platinum smash from a band that defined a certain anti-authoritarian energy mixed with a worldly cool, incorporating elements of dub, early hip-hop, dance, reggae, ska, rockabilly, and other musical styles into their fundamentally punk rock sound. They were billed early on as the only band that matters since the late 70s, an impossible term that they found uncomfortable, especially since it was given to them by their own record label, CBS. Frontman Joe Strummer, in particular, had an uneasy view of the establishment, corporations, and the status quo. And when they were signed to CBS after playing only a few gigs, including their first in 1976, sharing a bill with the Sex Pistols in London, he struggled with balancing his desire to propel the band as far as they could go and his innate mistrust of the quote-unquote man who was paying the bills to take them there. And it's a good thing he found that balance somehow. The Clash were special. Their sound was special. And their music spoke to a new brand of youthful unrest in their native UK and eventually the world over. By the time The Clash set out to record Combat Rock in the winter of 1981 at Electric Ladyland Studios in New York, they had long solidified the band lineup. Joe Strummer on lead vocals, Mick Jones on guitar and vocals, Paul Simonon on bass, and Topper Heaton on drums. Strummer, who got his name in his early days busking with a ukulele in the London underground for change as people waited in a queue for the tube or the train, shared most of the writing credit across the board with Jones. The two of them, along with Simonon, having come from the same punk rock scene in London that birthed the Sex Pistols, The Damned, and others. The Clash did suffer from the spinal tap syndrome when it came to drummers, though, having churned through Terry Chimes, their original drummer, as well as Rob Harper, another drummer who briefly played with the band. In fact, The Clash auditioned over 200 drummers in the late 70s, but it wasn't until Topper Heaton played for them that it all gelled together. He joined the band in 79. Now, Heaton could not only play drums, he was also a piano player and played bass and guitar. Importantly, he had stamina that can match the rest of the band's ferocity. It is often said that going to a Clash show was like watching a locomotive on stage, the band giving it all for every powerful, visceral show. So the drummer was key. 
And I'm focusing on Heaton here because it was he who actually wrote and performed the music for Rock the Casbah. Percussion, piano, and bass while waiting for the rest of the band to come to their recording session at Electric Ladyland. This is an anomaly in the Clash catalog, as again, it was usually either Strummer or Jones or a combination of the two who wrote the songs. But Heaton had been toying around with a musical concept in his head, and finding himself alone in the studio, he first laid down the drums, then recorded the piano, and then the bass. At the time, according to Heaton, the band no longer were hanging out together as friends, and so those recording sessions would kind of start when everyone decided to show up, and he was often there first. When the rest of the band came in and heard what he had done, they declared it perfect and added the guitar parts a little later, along with a few more percussive and digital touches, including the recording of Mick Jones' digital watch as a final touch which was a souvenir watch with an alarm that played the theme song from the Dukes of Hazard TV show, Dixie, which Jones found hilarious. But when it came time to address the lyrics, Joe Strummer took a look at the lyrics that Heaton had scribbled for the demo and promptly crumpled them up and threw them over his shoulder into the garbage, saying, how very interesting, and rolling his eyes. It seems that Heaton had written really racy lyrics about the love he felt for his then-girlfriend for the song, and Joe Strummer was having none of that. Early on, Strummer would say, no love songs, issues, things that spark a response, and that kind of thing, whenever anyone would attempt to throw a love song into the band's repertoire. So erotic lyrics about the drummer's girlfriend just weren't going to cut the mustard. Strummer went back to his room at the Iroquois Hotel in New York City, a hotel once frequented by James Dean, and wrote the lyrics that would complete the song. Strummer had been playing with the words Rock the Casbah after an impromptu session with a violinist friend of his, just goofing around, but the phrase he had come up with in that jam session stuck in his head. And with the music that Heaton created, Strummer was inspired to write the lyrics to the song that would end up being about flying in the face of authority. Specifically, it was The Clash's answer to the banning of Western music in Iran after the 1979 Islamic Revolution. The revolution resulted in the ouster of the last Iranian Shah, who was pro-Western and pro-modernization, and resulted in a new Iranian government under the Ayatollah Khomeini who exacted stricter rules. Among other things, this revolution impacted oil prices and briefly contracted the global economy. The whole of the song is based on the idea of a population rising up against an order from a king to let them play whatever music they wanted to, even when he threatened with military intervention. For the people to rock the Casbah, no matter what the king said, even getting help from the jet fighters who were charged to destroy their freedom by jamming the same rock music in their flying destroyers. It's about the people coming together to rebel against the tyranny of a government trying to suppress something as universal as music. And boy, does it have a funky beat. Rock the Casbah starts like this. Now the king told the boogeymen, you have to let that raga drop. The oil down the desert way has been shaken to the top. The sheik, he drove his Cadillac, he went a-cruising down the ville. The muezzin was standing on the radiator grill. The sharif don't like it. Rockin' the casbah. Rock the casbah. So you have the scene set. The king doesn't like the music, and he wants it to stop. 
The line, you've got to let that raga drop, came to Joe Strummer by way of The Clash's manager, Bernie Rhodes, who would often complain about the length of their songs, asking them once, does everything have to be as long as this raga? A raga is an Indian style of music that is deeply complex and noted for being really lengthy in composition. So in the song, when the king says to the boogeyman, you've got to let that raga drop, He's saying, no more of this crazy Western punk rock, alluding in the next line that its vibration is shaking the oil out of the ground in the desert. When the sheik or king drives his Cadillac down to the town or ville, the muezzin is standing on the radiator grill. A muezzin is a man whose job it is to call Muslims to prayer from the tower balcony or minarets high up on a mosque. And the people respond, the sharif or the king don't like it? Rock the Casbah. And by the way, if you hear the sheep don't like it in that line and have been singing it that way all along instead of Sharif don't like it, you're not alone. That's one of the famously misheard lines in Rock the Casbah. The song continues. By order of the prophet, we ban that boogie sound. Degenerate the faithful with that crazy Casbah sound. But the Bedouin, they brought out the electric camel drum. The local guitar picker got his guitar picking thumb. As soon as the Sharif had cleared the square, they began to wail. The Sharif don't like it. Rock the Casbah. So the king has decreed that by the prophet's orders, that boogie sound is banned, that it will corrupt the faithful who hear it. But the Bedouins, or nomadic Arabs who live in the desert on the outskirts of the city, the oldest group of people in all of Arabia, known for their hospitality and their survival skills, have arrived with a drum. And the local guitar player is tuning up. And when the king leaves, they all strike up the band with the people and start wailing, start jamming, anyway. Rocking the Casbah, as it were. The song continues... Now over at the temple, oh, they really pack them in. The in-crowd say it's cool to dig this chanting thing. But as the wind changed direction and the temple band took five, the crowd caught a whiff of that crazy Casbah jive. The Sharif don't like it. Rock the Casbah. Now here the faithful are in the temple praying and chanting, But then they hear what's happening in the town square. That crazy Casbah jive, that danceable punk rock beat, carried over the wind as the temple players took a break. I think it's interesting that Strummer uses the phrase, they caught a whiff of that crazy Casbah jive, as if the sound was so palpable that it had a smell, an odor to it, a sensation beyond hearing that the faithful inevitably couldn't resist, angering the king. And the song continues... The king called up his jet fighters. He said, you better earn your pay. Drop your bombs between the minarets down the Casbah way. As soon as the Sharif was chauffeured out of there, the jet pilots tuned to the cockpit radio blare. As soon as the Sharif was out of their hair, the jet pilots wailed. The Sharif don't like it. Rock the Casbah. So the king decides to deploy the air force to drop bombs on the mosques and the faithful who are now having a ball, playing and dancing in the street. But in an act of rebellion that would render the king's command moot, those jet fighters started blaring the same boogie music out of their own radios in their cockpits, joining in with the people. As quick as the king departs, after telling them that they better earn their keep, 
Flyboy is now helping the people to rock the Casbah, unified with the populace. As the song fades out, the lines go, The Sharif don't like it. He thinks it's not kosher. Rock the Casbah. The Sharif don't like it. Fundamentally can't take it. Rock the Casbah. The Sharif don't like it. You know he really hates it. Rock the Casbah. I'd like to point out here that the line in the end there is that he fundamentally can't take it, not mental retardation, as is, again, an often misheard lyric in this song. It's always struck me as particularly adamant, the inclusion of the word fundamentally in that line, conjuring up a sheik who is near to tearing his hair out with distress because he sees his power slip away. The whole song absolutely lends itself to the visual, and the music video that helped promote the band's success was no less intriguing. It featured a sheik and a rabbi hanging out together in Austin, Texas, drinking beer, eating at Burger King, dancing, and generally having a good time culminating with their attendance at a Clash concert, complete with random shots of an armadillo wandering around in the video. Everybody rocking the Casbah together. From all walks of life. It was one of the most played early videos on MTV. And in fact, the album cover for Combat Rock was shot in Austin as well. The four members of the Clash on what appears to be a typically hot Texas summer day, sitting on an empty railroad track in a field. A long, long way from London. And the Combat Rock album was the last of the classic lineup of the Clash. Not long after Combat Rock was released... Topper Heaton's escalating issues with heroin resulted in the rest of the band releasing him from his duties as a member of The Clash. In fact, Heaton wasn't even in the Rock the Casbah video, having been replaced by original drummer Terry Chimes for the shoot. The Clash continued to tour, but tension between Mick Jones and Joe Strummer was growing problematic as well, and Jones was fired from the band in 1983. Strummer and Simonon hired new band members and tried to carry on, recording the last Clash album, Cut the Crap, in 1985. Those final days were chaotic, and after that, the Clash called it quits. Strummer and Jones did later work together, Strummer even co-producing Jones' second Big Audio Dynamite album. Simonon started a new band, and Heaton put out a solo album during a sober spell. Joe Strummer went on to form the excellent Joe Strummer and the Mescaleros group, which I saw perform at the Troubadour in Los Angeles in 2001. It was at that show that one of the songs being played in the venue before the band went on stuck out to me. And looking to my left, who did I see but Joe Strummer? Now, knowing I would never have the opportunity again, I asked him if he happened to know the song that was playing at the time. As it turned out... He personally had put together a playlist to be played in each venue before the Mescaleros tour, and he seemed genuinely enthusiastic to have been asked about it, then launched into telling me all about the artist I had asked him about, explaining that it was Ernest Wranglin, a Jamaican guitarist who had recently put out this funky Afrobeat reggae dance record called In Search of the Lost Rhythm. He then wrote it down for me on a napkin and handed it to me, so I wouldn't forget my friend Christina was with me and advised me to keep that slip of napkin. Wise words, because it remains my most cherished rock memento. All across the world, people who came across Joe Strummer have stories like that. 
From teenagers who he would let into his shows through the back door in the UK and elsewhere, especially if they didn't have any money to get in, to people who randomly ran into him on the street or the beach or the record store, stories of Joe Strummer's openness with his fans abound. And that's why it was such a shock to fans when Joe Strummer died suddenly at age 50 in December of 2002 of a heart attack brought on by a congenital heart defect, leaving behind his two daughters, Jazz and Lola. It felt like a broken heart to get that news. And in a way, it was. If anybody was really the heart and soul of punk rock, it was him. The class were inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 2003, which Simonon had an issue with because he felt being inducted into an organization like that was against everything the Clash really stood for. Being your own person, railing against institutions or anyone that would try to paint you in a corner or box you into a category. Never letting anyone grind you down. Searching for lost rhythms. Always. Always rocking the casbah with that crazy boogie sound. What is certain is how many artists The Clash inspired in their wake. Bono from U2 has said that The Clash were the greatest rock band ever. Green Day certainly owe much to The Clash. And rapper Chuck D gives credit to The Clash for inspiring Public Enemy to speak out in their music because the band expressed their feelings on issues, writing lyrics about important things, something Joe Strummer would no doubt have been pleased to hear. Issues. Not love songs. Things that spark a response. That was The Clash. The only band that mattered. And that was Joe Strummer. Rest in peace. I'm Janda, and this has been Behind the Song. Special thanks to Christian Lane for the music you hear on this podcast. Subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or Podcast One, or stream for free at WDRV.com Behind the Song or on the Drive app. Subscribe to the Behind the Song podcast on YouTube and see the video episode. Follow me on Facebook and Instagram at Jandalane Radio and on Twitter at Jandalane. On the way, new episodes on the lyrics of Janis Joplin, Foreigner, and more. Classic rock and roll. Put the power of podcasting to work for your business. You can be part of Behind the Song and reach potential customers inside every episode. To advertise your product or service by sponsoring Behind the Song, send an email to podcast at hubbardradio.com now.